0: As I mentioned in church today, during this time we are going to talk about the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ through the sacrament of confession. Remember the church recognizes and this is an important distinction. The church recognizes at least at least 7 sacraments. It doesn't say only 7 sacraments. Remember what a sacrament is. A sacrament is God taking something that He has created, whether it's a person or something else of His creation, and through it working the wonders of salvation. Christ does this throughout the whole world, through so many different things. But the church recognizes at least seven sacraments that they deem so important that they see God working salvation consistently through And one of those sacraments is the sacrament of confession. How important then does our Lord Jesus Christ deem this very sacrament for His people? And I find that there are so many. I had them when I grew up in Protestantism. You couldn't have convinced me by strong-arming me that I needed to go and do confession with the priest. In fact, I used to say it this way, which was even an error in my own thinking, to go to confess to a priest. Because we don't confess to a priest. We confess to our great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. The priest just takes us to Him and stands by our side, prayerfully supporting us in this grace time between the one who is broken in their sin and desires amendment of life and experiences Jesus Christ's salve of healing to their conscience. And to their soul. This is what confession is. But there are so many misconceptions out there. In fact, let me ask you a question. What do you think a lot, there's a lot of people that have fear, anxiety, or worry about this idea of confession. Where do you think that comes from? You may be one of them. Where does fear and anxiety and worry about confession come from? I'm sorry? Shame? Yeah?
1: Your your own pridefulness, which is where all sins come from.
0: Shame is one of them. We have your own pridefulness because, you know, to do confession, you say with your mouth. It comes out, it's exposed. Right? As if Jesus doesn't already know it. But there's somebody else in the room. Who is it?
1: The Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah, and the priest.
1: We've
0: already established that the priest doesn't count. The priest, well, the, and, and yet, many people, we, many people, though, however, this is where a point of, if it was just them and Jesus, you know, some of that fear of, of, of coming before God diminishes. We'll talk about the role of the priest and correct that in a minute. What, where, what else does worry come from? Repeating yourself. Huh? Repeating yourself.
1: Just like I did just now. What? <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Denying. Some people rationalize it to justify to speak the truth.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think all of these things, yes. Yes. Corey? I think sometimes if you haven't done it very much or you don't
2: do it enough, then there's anxiety. It's this anxiety. Is not
0: you're not used to it. The unknown. Fear of the unknown. Yeah, Taylor?
1: That the thing I'm going to say is going to cut me off from communion.
0: <laughs> that the thing
2: I'm going to say is yeah, going to you, cut you off really really from communion.
1: mark and I'll
0: be cut off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Taylor, I'm so exhausted from cutting you off from communion. <laughs> I don't have energy for it anymore. Je- yeah, Jeff? For us at the beginning it was just ignorance. Ignorance. Just not knowing. Just not knowing. This, let's stop there for a moment. This is what today is all about. This is the day of knowing. This is the day for God to reveal to us the realities of how the sacrament of confessions is such an incredibly powerful extension and experience of His love that heals us and makes us whole. Let me read to you... (laughs) I want to read to you out of the manual for priests. I bet you didn't know that the priest comes with manuals, right? And batteries. And batteries. And they run low sometimes. But who reads the manual, you or us? Yes. But I'm going to read to you, listen. I'm going to read to you the prayer that a priest says, preparing to take you to Jesus for confession. And I want you to hear the prayer for after he hears the confession. By the way, before we even go, there's one thing nobody mentioned. Now, it has to do with shame. Yaneta, you said shame, right? Or Is that correct? There are people that are afraid that if they confess the deepest of their sins, that it's going to change the priest's impression of them. It's a very human thing. Think about that. Okay? If I say something, man, Father Mark is going to look at me totally differently. A priest is going to see me in a way I never wanted him to see. I want to calm that real quick before I show you these prayers. Number one, never, and I mean ever, has a confession of the most deep sins, of the most nastiness that's within humanity that comes, changes the priest's impression of the human person. I'll tell you why. Because when the priest's head is put on the altar and the hand goes on it, they are graced for all of the sacraments that Christ minister through them. When you confess to Christ, His opinion of you never changes because He already knew it. And He wants to bring you out of it. Nothing you can come to Jesus and confess that I am hearing will ever change. By the grace of God, The opinion that I have, this is, this ministry of the priest being with you in confession is an extension of the ministry of the love of God that is long-suffering. Now what the priest may do from time to time is weep along with you. To grieve and ache with your grief and what these sins have done to you. But then the priest gets to see the joy of the release by the time we're done. Tears of sorrow turn to tears of joy. Here's the prayer, and this will tell you a little bit bit about that. The prayer that a priest prays before hearing confession. O Lord Jesus Christ, who did say to thine apostles, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Look mercifully upon me, thy servant. Enlighten my understanding. Give me a right judgment in all things. Fill my heart with divine love. Grant me so to minister this thy gift of absolution, that the hearts of these thy children may be truly turned to thee, that together with them I may attain to everlasting life, who livest and reignest world without end. Amen. And then after hearing a confession. O Lord Jesus Christ. Son of the living God, accept this my ministry and service with that exceeding love wherewith thou didst absolve blessed Mary Magdalene and all sinners who fled unto thee. And whatsoever I have done carelessly or unworthily in the administration of this sacrament, do thou be pleased to supply and make satisfaction for by thyself. I commend to thy most loving heart, all in each who have now confessed, beseeching thee to keep them, to preserve them from backsliding, and after the trials of this life, to lead them to everlasting gladness with thee. Again, when the bishop puts is, is ordaining a priest, I love that last prayer because one of the ones that I just lost it when the bishop prayed this over me, having laid hands on me, He prays that the deficiencies of the man, and there are deficiencies of the man of every priest, that the deficiencies of the man be totally made up by the complete sufficiency of God. And that just relaxes me into the role. I don't have to be perfect, I have to be available. And let God do what He's going to do in your life. There is a story... In the scriptures and uh, the Gospel of St. John in chapter 8. You remember the story of the woman caught in adultery who was about to be stoned? I want to share this story with you because, in this story, even though the woman did not actively confess, in this story is every ministry of Christ to all who come to confess completely. I want to read the story to you, and then I want to break down the different ministries of Christ that He does in those moments when we are together with Him in the blessed sacrament of confession. First, the story. Now, early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple, and the people came to Him. And He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to Him a woman caught in adultery, And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up, and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted in their conscience went out one by one beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman was standing in the midst. And Jesus had raised himself up and, no one, and saw no one but the woman. He said to her, Woman, Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? He said, no one. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In this story, again, every aspect of the healing work of Christ in forgiveness and mercy and power, we're going to see. Let's take a look. The first one is this. The first thing Jesus did in this scene is He rid her of her accusers. He rid her of those who were making accusations, and rightly so. The accusations were correct. Because someone caught in adultery by the law of Moses, as they correctly said, deserved what? Yeah death by stoning specifically Jesus rids the whole scene of every accuser in that moment My friends who is our accuser Satan According to scripture who's our accuser Satan, Satan is our accuser <clears throat> When we sin When we sin, our conscience is damaged both in healthy and unhealthy ways, okay? And I want to share because one of them is a healthy situation. Let's talk about that one first. Our conscience when we sin is healthily wounded by the conviction of the Holy Spirit within us. We are grieved, Because we have done this or that. We are grieved for what we have done to someone else. Something grieves us in our soul. And this is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But be very specific to what this conviction leads you to. The conviction of the Holy Spirit within you bringing grief about over your sins. Is doing that to thrust you into the arms of Jesus Christ. Not to run away. And that's how we talked about this before, discerning the difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit pressing us into Christ and shame which is of Satan that drives us to hide ourselves from the healer of our souls. We've talked about that. But we have a healthy damage to our conscience, a healthy grieving that goes on within us. But then there's the unhealthy. Satan, when we sin, will always step into the scene and hurl consistent accusation. What is his goal? You did this. You were wrong. You sinned against God. Therefore, you're not worthy. You cannot go before Him, run and hide. You cannot be before God Almighty. He will no longer accept you. Do you hear the voice of the accuser? Have you heard that in your life when you sin? Hmm? No? Thank you. We're alive. (laughs) We're breathing. All of us do. All of us do. And the temptation is to then be in shame and hide as Adam and Eve did in the garden when God came calling for them. But what does Jesus do in the scene? In the moment that this woman rightly caught in adultery and rightly deserving death by stoning the first thing He does is He sends away, He dismisses all accusers from the scene. And when Jesus in the sacrament of confession dismisses the accuser, what He is doing is He is overpowering Satan and all those satanic thoughts that have gotten into you and bringing right peace and health to your conscience. you understand that? He casts away the accuser of us all. That sacrament is the blessing of God for that ministry. This is why He's given us the sacrament of confession. So that in those moments, the accuser must be dismissed and our consciences start to find healing. This goes along with our Lord's role in something it says in uh, the revelation given to St. John in chapter 12. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. When we step into the sacrament of confession, you can anticipate God doing this for you. Putting away the constant accusation that you have been giving into, Listening to Satan. So that he can go further into the healing process and salvation process within your life. And Jesus asked the woman, where are your accusers when he was with her? Alone. Alone. Just the two of them. Where are your accusers? The woman turns around and for the first time she turned around because she was scared to death the first stone was about to hit her. You could just see her turn around, kind of wincing, and all of a sudden nobody's there. Do you think she sensed any kind of relief at this? That nobody who was going to kill her and do harm to her is there anymore? There's relief. There's relief. Marilyn, did you have something? Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, at the time that that happened, did her accusers know that they were filled with Satan's ways?
0: first of all, hold up, let's back up one second they were speaking truth okay they were doing exactly what they had always been called to do by the law of Moses Okay. however, remember what Jesus said about the scribes and Pharisees you do all the stuff but you don't know me Right. you go through the motions but you don't have my heart that's more the scene of these people. And what happens is, and the church fathers talk about this. You know where it says Jesus was writing in the sand? There are many church fathers that say he was writing their sins in it. So that, we, with it, that that way you can see the tithe. And when he says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. And they're like, that's me. And one by one, the eldest to the youngest, they're dropping the stones that go away. Yeah, Randy.
2: Weren't they sinning in the moment because the law of Moses says that both who are caught are to be brought together and stoned to death?
0: <clears throat> oh, yeah. There's, there is all sorts of stuff there, for sure, that they could, be, they could be convicted in. But the bottom line that we want to see as far as confession is concerned is that Jesus, who is God and fully the heart of God expressed through flesh, dismisses every accuser. And he does the same for us. Secondly, Jesus grants the woman the extreme mercy of God. What is the mercy of God? Somebody describe for me mercy. We've talked about it before. But what's mercy?
2: Loving kindness.
0: Loving kindness. Undeserved. Undeserved blessing. Yeah. Undeserved blessing. Yeah, both those are good.
2: Mercy would be not
0: doing to you what you deserve. Not, not doing, withholding what should happen that you actually deserve. Now, let's take all these together because we've got a good picture going here. Because it's all of them, but let's see the combination. Number one, the mercy of God. The mercy of God. When we deserve absolute death or punishment, when we deserve this, God turns the whole scene on its end. Because not only does He take His hands off and not enact the punishment towards death, the wages of sin is what? Death. 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 Not only does He take His hand off enacting that punishment, but even further is the mercy of God. He gives us what we could never deserve. We do the worst thing imaginable. And he takes it and rather than letting it count as death. He turns it like a sock right side in. And he grants us not only relief of that. As if that's not enough. But then he pours all of the blessings of his love and loving kindness into our life in that moment. You see that? This woman receives great mercy. We already said this. What did she deserve? Death by stoning. What did he do? The opposite. He dismisses the ones who are going to stone. He frees her of all of those conditions. And now she's just left with him where he's going to pour more into her life because the next thing that she receives is the pardon. The forgiveness of her sins is granted. And what does Scripture tell us? That Christ does with our sins when He forgives. It says He casts them as far as the east is from the west, but more. What? Remembering them. No, not. He, when He forgives, that sin once committed, though we might have a memory, the sin once committed is not in the memory of God at all. And that's an amazing thought. Yes? This
2: is our whole...
1: But does her husband know she's done this? And if so, okay, we are
0: yeah. <laughs> Let's stay on the confession thing, shall we? This is, we're not going to go into all that. <laughs> Another kind of accuser. Another kind of accuser, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but he does this for this woman. He forgives her sins. And in the sacrament of confession, not only is our accuser dismissed from us, and we're relieved from that constant accusation. We are granted the forgiveness of sins to where God already knew it, but He takes it and He casts it as far as the east is from the west with no trace of it in His eternal mind. That's an amazing thought. Thirdly, or fourthly, He grants her not only a clean slate, but He calls her to a new life the abundant life. As Jesus would say after he forgave the sins of many all throughout the Gospels, what does he say so many times? Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Sin no more. Be transformed. Go and sin no more. I have forgiven these things. You have offered them to me out of the grief of your heart. I've taken them, I've thrown away your accuser, I have given you forgiveness, and now even further, I'm going to pour all of my grace into your life. Because if you think, go and sin no more, Jesus never commands what He does not grace. He never gives one commandment that He doesn't fill His people with everything of Him that they need to accomplish. In the sacrament of confession, not only are we experiencing the mercy of God, not only are we experiencing that divine absolution, the forgiveness of sins, we are experiencing and receivers of the grace of God by the Holy Spirit to go and be the overcomer that Christ is within us. All of these things are taking place. All of these things. So just in this story, in the sacrament of confession... Christ is mightily throwing down our accuser on your behalf, out of love for you. He is granting us the opposite of what we deserve and giving us things we never could dream of deserving. He forgives our sins and gives us, very importantly, He gives us the grace to receive the forgiveness. How many of you, and I pray you're doing this, when you sin. You know, when you sin, you should always go to your, your, to your Christ, to your Messiah, to your great high priest, and confess. You don't wait to come to a priest. You have union with him. But how many times have you confessed sins in your life, but you go away still with a weight on your conscience? You go away still having a problem with what you did and pain in your conscience. That's happened to me many times. And it all goes away in the sacrament of confession. Because in that blessed sacrament, Christ even gives us grace to receive the forgiveness we talks about where He doesn't remember it anymore. And I'm going to tell you a testimony about that in just a few moments. So tell me something. In all of those things that you just heard, throwing down of the accuser, the mercy, the forgiveness, the grace, find me the negative that you should be worried about. Find me the concern that would keep you. Yes.
2: She didn't ask for forgiveness.
0: No, that's what I said at the very beginning. In the story, she didn't confess. What I'm showing you is what Christ did for her is what he does in the sacrament of confession. Right? Yeah. Yes. Okay, I'm going to be bold here. Be bold.
1: (laughs) Um, I need for you to explain to Lucy um, the difference... Between the Orthodox understanding of the sacrament of confession and the Roman Catholic, because for me it's it's going to take a lot of convincing when I've had a lifetime of very bad experiences in confession Mm -hmm.
0: coming in from the Roman Catholic Church. So explain to Lucy. Okay, well I'm going to explain to Lucy this. Not all Roman Catholics are poor confessors. Absolutely. And and you know this, but I'm going to say I'm saying this because you mentioned this. Um, the theology is a bit different in the approach to confession in Roman Orthodoxy, for one. Um, and Chris, Chris, a number of you came from Roman Catholicism. Um, how many of you that were in Roman Catholicism remember a time, and I'm not sure, it seems like they're changing it back a little bit now, but there was a time where you confessed to a priest. You were face-to-face face with a priest. Okay. Um, that idea was, was there. Uh, the idea in Rome of Christ in persona, meaning the priest is Christ in those moments, is a little bit different than Orthodox. And that's, that came kind of in Vatican II, when they, even when they turned the altar so that now the priest faces everybody. Whereas you notice in Orthodoxy, the priest does not do that. He only faces you when he addresses you. Because he's one of you leading you up to that altar. That's the scene. Well, let let me just be more specific, because I can't give you all the ins and outs of Roman Catholicism, but I can tell you that the scene is this. In fact, Joshua, come up here with me. You're going to confess your sins in front of everybody. Come on. (laughs) And now it's a party. (laughs) All
2: right. So,
0: stand right here with me. So, if this is the icon of Christ, the posture of confession tells you everything about the priest's role and what's going on. Because what happens is I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you right before the icon of Christ and you don't have to do this, but you know the kneeler I mean, the uh, rail's there. And you will kneel before Christ if you can. If not, you'll stand. And what does the priest do? This. He comes alongside you. And the first thing the person does is ask for a blessing on this time, this sacrament. And the priest blesses with a prayer his time with Jesus. What is this posture telling you? It's telling you that the role of the priest is to take the broken and wounded hearted to the healer. And it is my joy, you will see why in a minute, it is my joy to bring every grieving heart and every grieving conscience to the one who is there to provide the salve for it all. So the priest's activity is blessing this time. While you're confessing your sins to Jesus, I'm praying for you. Not out loud. But there's something else I'm doing. While you're talking to our Lord, I'm listening to Him to see if He would have anything that would be helpful to you for overcoming this. Or for receiving the forgiveness. Or for the further calming of your conscience. I minister with Christ to the penitent. It's Jesus that's doing everything. I just brought you to him. Thank you. You're a wonderful example. <laughs> does that does that
1: help?
0: That's thank you. Yeah. A, Lucy's happy. Lucy, hey Lucy. All right, very good. Um, let me for a moment. So, I want to tell you, because remember I mentioned at the beginning, in Protestantism, this was the furthest thing that I would ever believe in. It's ridiculous. May I share with you how Jesus changed my mind as a Protestant? I had started a mission church in an area just outside of New Orleans called Belchase, Louisiana, which was 70% unchurched. And I started it with one other man, an older man. And he was great at casting the net, but he needed someone to drive people deep, so we worked in, tangent, in tandem together. And after two years, we had 150. Almost all of them were unchurched, meaning they hadn't set foot in a door in at least six months, and many of them had been years. And during that time, Korea, Debbie, and I had a small group in our home that would meet on Tuesday nights, and we had about 15 to 17 of those folks in there every Tuesday. And there was a young man that had started coming to the church. I'd say probably in his mid to late 20s. And he was kind of what, he was, a, let's, let's label him, he was a non-hugger. Okay? <laughs> Be, and you know me, I got the gift of hugs. I'm hugging everybody. But but he was a non-hugger and so I had to learn very quickly there was something uncomfortable and and to shake his hand okay fast forward about four or five months at this time there was a movie that went out into limited uh, viewing in theaters about the life of Martin Luther and I had actually gone to see it and he went to see it I didn't know this but on a Friday night at 9.30pm I have a knock on my door at home and it's this young man and let him in, and we sat down and talked. And the first thing he says is, did you see that movie about Martin Luther? I said, yeah. He said, you know, in the first scene of that movie, Martin Luther is doing confession with his father confessor. I said, really? Then he go on to something else. Oh, but he kept coming back in the conversation to witnessing Martin Luther doing confession with his father confessor. And I looked at him at one point, and I had just begun my journey at looking at the early church. Just begun. So I had a little Anglican book of common prayer that I was kind of looking through as part of that journey. And I looked at him, I said, Man, do you do you want to do confession? And he said, Yes. I said, You know I'm not a priest. And he said, I know. I said, All right, if you want, I've got a little Anglican book of prayer and I've got a little confession, you know, liturgy in there that we can do together. Let's go in my office. So we went in my office. And we sat down in, in that office and we started going through it. And at, the, at the point in time where he's just to talk to Jesus about his sins, this unemotional, non hugging man, I've never seen so many tears pour down eyes, pour out of eyes. And he is confessing 15 years worth of incredible sin. And he, this guy, is in anguish. You could tell that up until that moment, all of this had been bottled up. The accusations of the accuser, the damage to his conscience from everything that he did and those he'd done it to and with is just pouring out of him. And then he's done. And I say the words of absolution, which are not the priest's words. When you hear the words of absolution, you are hearing through the voice of the priest very tangibly the words of Christ for you in that moment. And as soon as I said the words of absolution over this man, this young man's tears of agony went to extreme tears of joy and relief in the moment. I don't mean five minutes later. I mean, as soon as he heard Jesus say to him this, the grace of God that came upon this poor young man who had been so bottled up with anguish for so long, he was—you—you could hear the shackles fall off, and he could have been flying ten feet in the air for the rest of his life if you saw him. And I got to witness that, and I wasn't a priest. But as soon as that happened and he walked out the door our Lord said to me this is why the sacrament of confession must be had in church because I came to release people from their bondage and I chose men I chose men to have hands laid on them to receive the grace of God so that they could be my voice they could be the tangible experience that I will move through as you bring people to me I did no longer have an argument against confession. And i got to tell you, every time that I hear confession, let me give a caveat to that. Every time I hear confession to those who have locked on to their grief, the grief of the Holy Spirit, they're burdened in their conscience, they come in and they truly are seeking Christ. And that is most of you that come to confession. When I have seen Jesus do this same ministry, and it's not always that extreme. I'm telling you, sometimes I will see extreme ministries of Christ like that. Extreme mercy that just, you see a person evolve right before you. And it's one of the greatest joys. But I don't care whether it's that, because the same extreme divine mercy is touching everybody that comes to confess. And some people in their sin life, he brings along little by little because that's what they can handle. And yet he's freeing them all along. And others, he's demolishing whatever is standing in the way of their experience with him. And experiencing the love of God and everything that he's come to grant us. Let me share with you one example. Now I'm going to say this. It is since I've been here, I will use no name, I will use no sin Because one of the things you can trust is, this doesn't get out on Facebook, people. (laughs) I fear God too much. I fear God too much. And God, forgive and have mercy upon those priests that have done opposite. I fear for them. There was a gentleman that came to do confession. And when he was in his early to late 20s, he had done something so disastrous in his own mind and heart. That for every day for the next 30 years, he would constantly have the flashes of this event, what he did. And every year he was trying to live a life as a Christian to prove to Christ that I can overcome. The man was in bondage for 30 years. Always with the remembrance of this sin. And he comes in and we go through and we do confession. At the end I say the words of absolution. I give him a few thoughts. And he goes on. Two weeks later he comes into my office. In tears. A man I have never seen cry. And he comes in in tears. And he sits down. And he says, no matter how hard I try since I did confession. I can't even remember the details. Of what I did 30 years ago. What did Jesus do for him? Jesus gave him the gift of what God does with our sin. There was no way. And God knew this. There was no way in this man's life. That he could receive the forgiveness of God. And be released from what he'd done. There was no way unless he could not remember it anymore. I say this to you, Jesus Christ, through the sacrament of confession, if you come and bring your heart to Him, over and over again, if you come and do it, He will give you precisely what you need in that moment. No more, no less, and all of it perfect. This is the God who has come to release those in bondage. The sacrament of confession, I tell you this very honestly. And it's not like I play favorites because God knows serving Mass is such an honor and a joy before God. On on your behalf, but also to receive from Him myself. To be honest with you, the second greatest joy I have being a priest is in the sacrament of confession. Because there's not a time that I see as tangibly Jesus ministering to his beloved and seeing them be transformed right in front of my eyes. There is no greater joy for me because of what he does. Now, let me open this up for just a moment. There are a number of you, in fact many of you in this room have done confession since I've been here. I'm wondering if there would be anyone willing to talk about their discomfort before going to confession for the first time and how God did away with that by what He did for them. And I don't mean talking about your sins. You don't have to talk about that. But is there anyone willing to testify to the very things that I'm talking about? Taylor? Taylor?
1: As I kind of shared earlier, um, I really had just worked up because the first confession I came to, of course, I come from Protestantism as well, and basically kind of being in the church, so I was like, "All right, let's do our lifetime of total sins in one go." That sounds easy. So
0: it only took three days. It only (laughs) took three days.
1: (laughs) (laughs) days, Um. okay, you know, I'm, I'm. how detailed do I have to get? Like, how much am I going to say that Father Mark's going to be like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. You know, and, and think differently of me or how much am I going to have to, you know, stand outside the building for a year before they'll let me back in? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. And I make jokes about it now, but it felt incredibly real in that moment, writing down all these things, knowing that, I need to be obedient, and I need to, you know, let the Lord help me let these go, but to say them out loud, is that really going to go okay? And then after, after just receiving um, Scripture that the Lord had put on your heart and recording it on my phone, listening to it all the time at work, and just kind of watching it completely diminish and realizing that, like, the things that I had kept up since I was, like, seven or six years mm. old You know, for twenty years, being able to like let those go. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. Thank God, Jordan. Um. One of the things that I was
1: most scared of was just having to come face to face with everything that I had done, Mm. and it kind of just being like, "Wow, I'm not as good as I always think I (laughs) (laughs) am." Because we all deal with pride in our own ways. I was so scared to just come to like, that reality and also scared that I was going to you know, do confession and nothing was going to change. Mm. I was still going to feel awful yeah. and nothing would be fixed and they thought that is not what happened um, and after the first confession I like things changed for the better and I was way more comfortable with myself and mm-hmm. going to God and, <laughs> and immediately making it right.
0: Mm-hmm. And Good. not feeling that immense fear of oh well, what does everybody else have to think about me because I know my daughter's forgiving me for all of these things Fantastic. I'm about it. Thank God, thank you, Jordan. anybody else? Yes. Oh, just... Gary, what you got? Uh then will do a problem. A little louder, Gary, I'm trying to oh, hear
2: okay. you. Okay, Um. Really about pride, I, mean, I just wanted to ask from your experience, of, uh, seeing everyone's profession, what do you think is the greater, greater spiritual enemies to those that go to profession? Yeah, um, could, do you hear people come back and say that they have a problem believing? Like afterwards, like unbelief, you know? Or do you see they have problems with pride? Do you see, I guess I speak of myself, yeah. you know. Like, you. you. know, Adam's in the garden, you know, there's the woman that you gave me, or the parents you gave me that you know, or the
1: parents I have here, that's why I said. Or, or then even if I go to confession, I feel like even unbelief, you know, like mm-hmm. he was still killed and destroyed. You
2: know, he got there for you, God got not the accusations the constant
0: accusation yeah uh, I see it all every one of you is such a beloved blessed individual before Christ every one of you has different chinks in your spiritual armor in your emotional makeup all of you have different emotional baggage from different wounds that have occurred all through your life I don't even want to hone in on that I'm going to tell you why Because the call wouldn't change. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest for your souls. So I don't care whether it's pride, unbelief. Hey, we're all struggling in all of that. In different ways. That doesn't... And and, and the bottom line is in the sacrament of confession is where we find help with those things. Does that make sense? Is that answering your question? I just noticed like at the... That was my biggest
2: thing when I first started the profession. Yeah, like, you know, I'm sharing this. Yeah, you know, sharing this with another man this is my weakness. Yeah, but then after the fact, that the Father God, yeah, You know, because it's such a horrendous sin.
0: Yeah, I think I think one of the things that I always will advise all of us, because once we leave that, that doesn't mean the attacks are stopped doesn't mean that the deceiver is not going to try to twist our mind even over what just happened you know what that's solved by in part you go out of there and you keep a spirit of prayer because the temptations the thoughts I'm not concerned about temptations and thoughts because if one is in a spirit of prayer and has their life set before God they're not going to avail much all those temptations and thoughts But if we go from confession to receiving such profound grace and mercy and forgiveness and just jump right back into the old ways, right? Which can happen to all of us. We need to take the gift we've been given and fan it into flame through our union and prayer with God. Does that make sense? We're all in danger of that, Gary. Lois? I
2: think Power of the spoken word, mm. like as you said, we can in our you know in our, go into our closet and confess our sins, but we don't hear that voice saying you are forgiven. Yeah. And um, just thinking about the way God created him, his you know, all of his creation, like He could have just thought it into existence, but right. He didn't. He spoke, spoke
0: it. And the word. I think for Good. me
2: that the power of the priest to to actually speak, yeah. you know, your situation. Together and going
0: yeah. to heart and peace is, um, was so um, so important to me and um, comforting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and remember, in that testimony, remember this: that, that I would I would say that's the exact thing that got that young man when I was still a Protestant, when he heard Christ forgive his sins, he experienced Him in that moment. God made us. With ears and mouths and eyes, all of which to behold him in different ways. This is why going to Jesus on our own is necessary when you sin, but that doesn't negate the sacrament and the power of Christ in the sacrament, to take what you receive there and blossom it. You see? Good. Chris, I think it's
2: two things. It's basically what she said, hear the words you're forgiven because that gives you soulless. Mm-hmm. But I think you out loud saying, "I have done that." Yep. You're admitting that you've done it wrong, yep. and you're not letting your brain deceive yourself to say that wasn't wrong, it, or yep. oh, the world's different now, or yep. that was because of, yep. you know. And I think one of the main aspects of the of the priesthood yep. is also to draw it out of you. It's almost like
0: siph the train. poison
2: out. That's good. To yeah. Draw
0: it out of you. To, yeah. That's
2: uh, good. The priest is there as a guide, and you're confessing it to Jesus. All yes. Times. And I, I do have a Catholic background, yeah. and I do remember a priest at times saying, "Tell me more." Yeah. Or, are, "Are you certain?" And almost like he's, you know, battling with you, like, "Come on now." Yeah. Give it, give it, give it to me all. In other words. And, that, and that's painful. Yeah. The more often you go to confession, yeah. The less painful it becomes. Yeah. Because you realize, and I made a joke earlier about. Your, Repetition, yeah, but you do repeat, and yes. you do kind of fall back into some of the same chicks in your armor. Yes, but you also have to never deceive yourself and say that what I'm repeating is not really a sin.
0: Right, because you got to come out. And say Which it. is a great is deception, still a absolutely. It is still a sin, and it is still a sin. Or it's not that bad.
2: Or it's not that bad. <laughs> then you got, and you saying it out loud, and you're also hearing it right. that, that you know you're forgiven. So those, it's it's symbiotic. It kind absolutely. of goes hand in hand with the two.
0: Absolutely. Let me wrap this up. I know we're going on, but thank every one of you for sharing those testimonies. Um, The Orthodox Church calls us in our spiritual practice, which means our Lord calls us, that we ought to do confession at least, at a minimum, once during each penitential season. That's Advent and Lent. Notice I said at least. It's not just for those seasons. The sacrament of confession is all the time when needed. But at least two times a year, we come and let Christ minister to us in the way that we've talked about today. This is from the guidance of the church. We trust in the wisdom of Christ being expressed that it is for our good so to do. Okay? So consider that. The other time, I would say, any time outside of those seasons, my friends, if you have a damaged conscience that you can't shake, don't sit and suffer. Let's go to our Lord together and let Him take care of His business that He does with us. Let Him grant you healing and mercy and forgiveness and grace in those moments. There is no need for the Christian to suffer with their conscience in the kingdom of God. Ever. Ever. Does that make sense? Is this helpful? Yes. Yes. Thank God. Yeah.
1: Um, what about? Okay, so we're not like fully all the way in orthodoxy, although you did say like. Yeah,
0: y'all are waiting at this point, aren't yeah, you? I yeah. Well, I mean, I
1: understand that if we croak, either one of us, that we'll be fully buried
0: as orthodox. Yeah. Okay, yeah right. Absolutely. That's
1: nice to know. You know.
0: But in it's the in Levi, the contract.
1: Like, yeah, so, so, do we wait until after Pascha when we're fully Thank you for on?
0: thank you for asking. Or, or do we? Perfect we, question.
1: Yeah, second.
0: All catechumens who are to be baptized and/or chrismated, I will hear their confession before that time. Okay. Because we will enter into all of the blessings of the church, and that's one of them. To ready ourselves to receive all that God will pour within you and upon you at your baptism and chrismation. And so, what I would suggest the church suggests that catechumens um, have their confessions heard towards the end, not all necessarily in the last week or anything like that, but towards the end of that journey, getting closer to, as close as we can, to the time. Of, uh, of the chrismation and baptism so that it all kind of flows you know together um, this and now let's talk about when to do confession throughout Lent number one you call me and we set up a time alright and I can set up a time any time Now, one of the things I will not do so I'll schedule it this way I will never hear the confession of a woman alone in this church. Someone else will be nearby. That will never happen. And that's for the comfort of the woman. And God knows, in this day and time, all it takes is one word, and a priest is no longer a priest. So I have to do it that way, and and I would do it that way anyway, anyway. Um, so. What does that mean? that that means that, that means Laura for you like if you want to do confession i would never do it here if there's nobody else here with you like in the narthex yeah 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 somebody else, not not what not next to you sorry somebody in the narthex or just outside the building you know in other words present on this <laughs> With a video camera <laughs> and and listen <laughs> Laura Laura put this mic on we can register <laughs> No, but the bottom line the bottom line is, number one, it's inappropriate for, for me to be alone with a woman, uh, period. I'm, I'm a married man and, and so on, and that's just the way we'll play it. Um, but this has never been a problem. I always schedule things around where that can happen. Um, I schedule times before and after Vespers uh, and Stations of the cross. There's so many times we can do it, but you need to contact me, and we set up a time to do so, okay? Um, and for all the catechumens who may still be struggling with the idea or wanting to know more about how to prepare, um, I want you to get in touch with me and talk to me. Um, and if you, again, if you're still struggling with a little bit of discomfort, I don't want you uncomfortable, and I can help that. Come and talk to me. And we'll prepare, even, and take our time preparing for that first confession.
1: There's like some.
0: There are prayer preparations and questions. There are. There, there are, are. Yeah, yeah I'll tell you what, I will find one and do that because there are a number of different ways and you can find them in, in some of the prayer books that you have. Yeah. Jeff, yeah? The little red prayer book. Yeah. That's yeah. a great book and it prepares for yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the Yeah, the St. Aidens that will only print it up. All the prayer books, all the Western Rite prayer books have different ways you can prepare. There are some people that use the law, the law of God. The Ten Commandments to prepare. There are people that use the Beatitudes from the Holy Scriptures to prepare. But you know what? If I could take all of those means of of preparing for confession and roll it all into one, it would be the prayer of David the psalmist. Search me, O Lord. See if there's any wicked way in me. Allowing the Holy Spirit. Now, Now, you and I know darn well the big ones that we have trouble with. It's right in our face and it's on our conscience. But to prepare for confession, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to bring up within us those things that He wants to take and heal that are damaging to our souls. So any of those types of things. But I'd be glad to email out something. I'll I'll find something. Okay? Let's stand.